everybody to come back in and you can find your seats so you can gather back in. We're going to continue and we're going to continue. And actually, this is our last message from our series on Esther. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the Old Testament book of Esther. My name's Joe Crummy, one of the leaders here. I'm going to be speaking this morning. And as Ollie said earlier, just want to extend a very warm welcome to everybody. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're able to find us. And we're thrilled to be able to come together and to worship God together and open up God's Word together and to learn together. And we're going to pick up things in chapter 9 in Esther. And if you were with us last week, uh, Brent's message about the tables being turned, uh, really sort of coming to the end of the story of this whole series on Esther and what an incredible story it is. And seeing God's hand, even though he appears to be invisible, we see God's hand behind the whole story of Esther and God coming to the rescue of his people. And we saw last week how the tables were turned, how King Xerxes allowed another decree to be written that would counteract the first degree, decree about the Jews being destroyed. Now the Jews could defend themselves and there was a way of escape. And we see that there is hope and that God came through. And this morning we're going to pick things up uh, in Esther chapter 9, verse 16, and we want to take a look at just a few things this morning uh, from that, and then we're going to put some of these things into practice right away. So this is one of those mornings, and if you're ever in school and you did something about a teaching, and then you actually got to put it into practice, this is one of those mornings. So some of you are looking very scared, and you should be, okay? So now that I've gotten your attention, let's read this morning. And we're going to have the words here, hopefully up on the screen in a second, from Esther chapter 9. And if not, I will read it from here, and you can follow along if you have it. Now I just got to find it myself. Is it up there? Oh, there we go. Thanks, guys. Great. Okay, so let's read it together. I'm going to come back here. So we're picking up, as I said, King Xerxes has allowed Esther and Mordecai to issue another decree that's going to save the Jews, and this is where we pick things up. It says, Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies, and they killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder, which goes back to a whole other decree that God had given about Agad and all of that about them not taking their plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made a day of feasting and joy. And the Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observed the 14th of the month of Adar as the day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy, and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And so the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun doing what Mordecai had written to them. And we continue on. Therefore, these days were called Purim from the word pure. And so some of you might notice in March on the calendar, Purim written on the calendar, this is what it's referring to. Because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them 
should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. And these days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. Woo! What an incredible ending to the story. And this morning, I just want to briefly look at this whole thing of Purim and of celebration. And you can see the verses that we've already quoted from. So, an amazing story, and the Jews are rescued, and then, as we see, after the day of battle and being rescued, there's a day of resting and of feasting and of joy. And a decree is sent, and isn't it kind of ironic that at the beginning of Esther, the whole thing started with decrees about the Jews being killed, and now there's a decree saying, Jews, you have to celebrate. That's a great decree to receive, isn't it? That I'm commanding you, you have to have a party. It's written down. That's what they're saying. There's going to be an annual celebration the same time every year. And this year, if you had your calendar, it was March 5th, 2015. In 2016, it'll be March 24th. You'll see it on the Purim. It's a command to celebrate. What a great command to receive. And what are they doing in this celebration? Well, we're going to quickly look at some different things. First of all, what are they to do? They're to remember. And what are they remembering? They're remembering how bad the circumstances were. Folks, there was a death sentence, not just on a few people, on their whole nation. A decree had been issued on this day coming up. The people in Persia were able to slaughter the Jews, and you could take all their stuff, and they were far outnumbered. It was going to be a slaughter, folks. There's no way around it. There was a death sentence, and we know what happened earlier in the story, that it caused great despair. It caused stress. People were fearful. Despair. People were in mourning because they knew what was coming. It was just a matter of time. Here comes the date, and coming up to that date, people were stressed out, and rightfully so. The odds were overwhelming. They had a great enemy, and what did they need? They needed a mediator somebody to go to the king and plead on their behalf. And Mordecai is saying, I want you to every year remember what's happened. And so to remember, you have to remember also the bad, don't you? You have to remember the circumstances they were in. It was bad news. And every year at Purim, the Jews read out the book of Esther to remember how bad things were. There's a whole aspect of being remembering. There's also, as you remember, a whole aspect of being thankful because you know what's happened. So there was thanksgiving because God provided and God intervened. So first of all, God provided a mediator. Esther represented the Jewish people before the king. God provided, and we've seen that throughout this whole series of God miraculously behind the scenes working things out, that there was a mediator who could go before the king and plead on the Jews' behalf. God provided a mediator. God provided salvation. God provided a way of escape. God provided deliverance from their enemies. So much so, we saw last week, that some of the so-called enemies actually wanted to become Jews. They actually jumped on board out of fear of God and out of fear of what was going to happen. God provided deliverance. And we saw that the tables were turned. What do you think is the natural reaction to understanding you were at a death sentence to now God's provided a way through. You should be full of thanksgiving. 
It's the natural overflow from understanding. But you're not very thankful if you don't know what you've been saved from. So if you've never faced a life and death situation and come through that God's provided a way for life, you might not be so thankful if you haven't understood the situation that you were in. So remembrance comes first. Remember the situation. Then comes thanksgiving. What else comes? Then comes this. They were allowed to celebrate. So there's a time for remembrance, and there's a time for mourning and weeping and fasting. There's a time for being thankful, and there's also a time to be able to celebrate. There's a time of rest and of joy and of feasting. Why? Because they were rescued. And we just read that there were three things that Mordecai said. He said, you can celebrate because you have received relief from your enemies. Your sorrow was turned into joy and mourning into a day of celebration. Therefore, there was life and hope and joy. So there's reason to celebrate. And we see that there's a future hope in that as well, and that because of God's covenant promises, it wasn't because the Jews did anything special. They had sinned. They had done things that got them into captivity. They had blown it many, many times. But God being faithful to His promises to His people, we see that God has provided. And that provides future hope for the Jews there. Because really, even though they survived this one, they were still living in exile, weren't they? But there was a hope given. And as they remembered this every year, it shows that God's covenant love, that despite their sin and all the things they had done, God had come through. And Mordecai commanded that this decree be go forth, because what happens in the Jewish culture, what happens a lot of times for us is this, we forget quickly what's taken place. So we can be in a difficult time, as the Jews were, looks hopeless, crying out, God provides, and then quickly we can just go on our merry way as if nothing ever happened, and a lot of times we even turn away from God when He's provided for us. And Mordecai is saying, a decree, Esther backs up, if we read the end of chapter 9, saying the same thing from a royal, the queen sent out the decree, saying, I'm commanding you, every year I want you to remember what's happened. And I want you to remember, I want you to be thankful, and I want you to celebrate. I don't want you to forget what God has done. And so every year, the Jews celebrate Purim, Esther is read, and the Jews remember the great deliverance. Now, folks, for us today, we follow a very similar principle of Purim, don't we? We have things that we celebrate every year because we want to remember what God has done. So we have one coming up, and if you were at the mall yesterday, you understand that something has changed, that something is coming up in the next few weeks, and yearly, we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas. And we can get into whether it was a pagan thing and all the different things that go with it. We redeem it to say we celebrate the birth of Jesus every year. It's a remembrance of what God has done. And so, really, we're doing a principle of Purim, that we're remembering what God has done with Jesus' birth. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the I am statements of Jesus leading up to Christmas to remember who Jesus is and who the birth of Jesus. 
at our street-level Christmas dinner. Ollie mentioned it just in our announcements. What are we doing? We're actually feasting and we're giving gifts to the poor. We're actually acting out what Purim was supposed to do at Christmas time. We're feasting and we're giving gifts to be a celebration. So on that night when we gather at Bill, it's a celebration of the birth of Jesus that we want to celebrate and to remember. So it fits into the principle of it. At Easter, we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. The great thing about for us as Christians is we don't just have two times a year. We gather weekly to celebrate and to remember and to give thanks. That's why we're here this morning as we gather weekly to be able. So in some ways, Christmas and Easter is every Sunday. Isn't that good news for us as believers in Jesus Christ that we get to proclaim as we did even in our songs this morning? We're remembering the death, remembering the resurrection of Jesus, remembering that he's coming again. We remember what we were before, that we are separated from God. He's given us new life in Christ. We can celebrate in that. And even though we're all coming from different backgrounds and different things, and some of us coming with sorrow today, some of us coming high off exciting things, we can gather together to the living God to worship him. And we do that in our homes as well. So it's not just even every Sunday for us, and we could meet any day of the week. In our life groups, we're gathering to remember and to give thanks and to celebrate Jesus. Every day in our own lives, we can do that. So it's great that we have Christmas, we have Easter, we have every Sunday, we have our small groups, but every day is a celebration for us, that it's a new day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So we have our different days in the calendar, but we work it down into every single day is a celebration from God. And we have some special things as well, one of them being communion. When we gather together as the body of Christ to remember Christ's sacrifice, Christ's resurrection, and in a few minutes we're going to do that. We're going to take the bread, we're going to remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross, we're going to take the cup, we're going to remember that Jesus' blood was shed for us. Those are important things for us to visibly see and to remember and to be thankful for and to celebrate. And it gives us future hope. So as we come to communion this morning, we come with these two things working together. We come with great humility and respect and worship and adoration, and we come thankful and we come joyful and we come with celebration, and we need both working together. Because what do we do? We go through the same things that the Jews did for Purim. We go through with the cross. What do we do? We remember And folks, we need to remember sometimes the state that we were in for some of us, and some of us may be here this morning who aren't followers of Jesus. This is the state you're in. You might not even know it. But folks, there's death awaits us all. It's the truth. No one knows the day that we're going to die. We can think different things. We can do everything we can to be healthy. We can do everything to remain young. We do not know when we're going to die, but folks, we're all going to die. And every day we're surprised, as we were even on Friday, we're surprised when things happen. But death is waiting all of us, and that's a sober reality. And we try to push it away, but folks, that is something we have to consider. What happens to me after I die? It's it's a reality. So we have to take a look at that and find out some answers to that. Folks, that's a physical death. 
The Bible says that we also had a spiritual death, that because Adam and Eve sinned, we're separated from God. We choose from our own. We all fall short of God's glory. We don't keep all His rules. We worship other things. You can go through all the different ways the Bible talks about how we make other idols before God. We don't worship Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can go through it all. That results in a spiritual death. There's a death sentence on us. And one day, as we sang about this morning, we believe Jesus is returning. He's going to judge the living and the dead. We're going to have to give an account before a living God. How did we live our lives and how, what did we do with Jesus? Did we put our trust in Jesus? Did we think he was just a religious figure? Did we think he was just a made-up fairy tale? We're going to have to give an account before. That's why we've offered, for example, the Alpha Course in these last seven or eight weeks is an example to explore the Christian faith. And really, it comes down to what are you going to do with Jesus? And we're going to do that again in the new year, looking at what are we going to do with Jesus? That is the biggest decision in your life. We want an opportunity to explain that more. We have a great enemy. We have an enemy, Jesus said, Satan, who wants to rob, kill, and destroy. So do we believe in God? Do we believe in Jesus? Do we believe in heaven? Do we believe in hell? Do we believe in a devil? Those are all things that we have to wrestle through. And when we come to a place of realizing, I can't get to God, I fall short of God's glory, there becomes in a good way, and the Bible calls it conviction from the Holy Spirit, we realize we're in a desperate state. And as the Jews feared for their lives, and they wept, and they were full of fear, and that stressed them out because they knew what was coming, when God gets a hold of our lives and He reveals the state we're in, we can get desperate as well, and we can cry out, who can save us? We need a mediator, don't we? Just as the Jewish people did. Who's going to represent us before God? Folks, that's what God wants us to remember. That's the state we're in, and for those of us who've been given new life in Christ, that's where we were, and we don't want to forget it, because if we forget it, then life can get pretty blasé. We can just kind of go through the motions, but when we remember we were dead in our sins, that we face death, but God has provided a way out through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There's great victory. And that leads to thanksgiving, doesn't it? We are the most thankful people on planet earth because we who didn't deserve anything, God has graciously provided. He's provided a savior, Jesus Christ. He's provided a mediator, a mediator, Jesus, between God and man that the wrath of God, who's right and just and holy, was put on Jesus and not on us, even though we've disobeyed God. He who was innocent became sin. We who were sinful became righteous. Wow, that's good news and thanksgiving. We've been delivered from our enemy, Satan, and we've been taken out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the dominion of his light. The tables have been turned. Death has been defeated. And one day when Jesus returns, that final enemy death will be completely conquered so that we can say, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That's the last great enemy to be conquered. Folks, that produces a lot of thanksgiving. So even though the world is in chaos, we can have peace even in the midst of chaos. We can have order in the midst of misery. We can have a great hope even in the midst of tragedy. The tables have already been turned. Satan thought, he won when Jesus was on the cross. Three days later, the tables turned. Jesus rose from the grave. 
Hallelujah. And folks, that leads to celebration. God rescues, God redeems, God restores, God renews. Hallelujah. God is alive. And for those of us who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been born again. We've been given new birth, and it's good news. The Bible says that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, who puts their trust in Jesus, the angels rejoice. There's a party in heaven over one sinner who's become a saint. Hallelujah. There's great joy and celebration over one of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. There's a party in heaven. Folks, when a baby's born, it's good news. News spreads like wildfire. (laughs) Why? Because people are excited. It's a celebration. So if one person is born again by the Spirit of the living God, it's great news. Word gets out. There's been a new birth. There's been new life given. Hallelujah. The angels rejoice. We get to celebrate. We get to celebrate the same things that Mordecai said to the Jews. We get to celebrate that we've received relief from our enemies. No longer does Satan have to control us or the dominion of darkness. Our sorrow has been turned to joy. Our mourning into a day of celebration because we've been given new life, new hope, new joy, all found in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It's good news. The gospel is good news. And it gives us a future hope. God will continue to provide for his people out of covenant love despite our sin and our overwhelming odds. Our enemy will one day be completely defeated. Paradise awaits where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more evil, no more injustice. There'll be peace and joy and order and a celebration awaits. And it gets even better. There's even a wedding feast that's going to come. And we're going to get to celebrate with Jesus. We as his bride with our husband. And it's going to be great. It's going to be a wedding feast. And folks, I've only been to one Jewish wedding in my life. My cousin married a Jew, but let me tell you, it was a party. It was singing and dancing and joyful and breaking glasses and just feasting and dancing. And even I, who am not a very good dancer, I felt like I was dancing all the time and everything. It was a party. And I thought, man, the Jewish culture has something that we've kind of lost. They know how to celebrate. It's going to be a celebration. We have a future hope that even though we, in a sense, are in exile now, there's a future hope, there's a glory, there's a paradise that's coming. So folks, as we take communion here in a minute, I just want to say a few things to us. And some of this I'm going to say to our church family. So if you're a guest here this morning, some of this might seem a little bit strange to you because I'm kind of speaking to our church family, but hopefully you'll still get some things out of it. And I'm going to be uh, challenging our church family a little bit. So some of the things I'm going to say, don't be afraid. I'm not forcing you to do anything. If you're part of our church family, I am going to not force you. I'm going to encourage you with a few things. And here's, as preparing this message this week, here's what I have felt in my spirit and for a long time, and that's this. Church, sometimes we've forgotten how to celebrate. (laughs) We've forgotten how to be joyful. Not all of us, but in general, 
And we've taught a lot on, there's times, absolutely, so don't, let's make this clear. There's times of fasting, there's times of intercession, there's times of just being quiet before God, there's times of weeping, all those, lamenting, all of that. So I'm not saying that disappears. I'm saying we have taught into that, there's times of that, and that can all happen at any time. But I feel like we also need to teach into celebrating. And it seems kind of weird. Why would you teach into celebrating? Because I don't feel like we're celebrating very much. <laughs> and there's all kinds of reasons for it. You know what? Here's some just brutal, honest things. When we gather together, it's cold in here. It's hard. I get it. We're all like this. And I know the heat was on last week, and I don't know what happened this week. But folks, it's not an excuse that we shouldn't be celebrating. So let's just call it a spade a spade. Our physical thing does affect us, but it shouldn't stop us. For those in our church family, can I just say this? We worship better when we all sit together. So it's a very practical thing. I know like all over the space, I know it gets embarrassing because I'm not a very good singer and we're singing beside each other and all of that. But when we gather at our building and we fit 80 people and we're all like this, the atmosphere is different because we're closer together, we can hear each other and we're worshiping together. I shouldn't be preaching to empty seats right here. So I'm going to encourage our church people. If you're a guest here, you can stay at the back. I'm not picking on you. You're welcome to come up to the front as well. I'm saying to our church family, I, we need you together. And it gets very comfortable for us just to be spread out. I need us up front together. It, it changes things. And you'll be warmer as well. Okay? <laughs> That's just a hint to you. Okay? Let me just say a few more things. The Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And folks, it's very comfortable to get into a comfort zone where we're pretty passive when it comes to our worship time together. Now, I'm not trying to manipulate anything. I'm not trying to whip anything up. I'm reminding us of some biblical things. So I can't force you to do anything, but it is my duty to remind you of some of these biblical truths. When we worship together, it's a heartfelt expression. So we're not just going through the motions. It's not just lip service. It's a heart thing. So we can raise our hand. We can go through all the things, but if it's not from the heart, so it starts with the heart. Worship is a heartfelt expression. Thanksgiving is a heartfelt expression, and I encourage us to come more prepared when we come to meet together so on Sunday morning, throughout the week, we have to be doing these things. We've got to remember, look where I was and look where God's brought me. We've got to be thankful. God, I thank you today. I thank you even through difficult things. I thank you for things that didn't even happen, that I didn't know didn't happen because you intervened, and so I don't even know I should be thankful for, but I am thankful because I didn't die when I should have died there. I don't even know. I, was, I, would, I didn't even know you provided. That's how thankful I am. And we come, and our hearts are more ready to worship. So it doesn't matter how cold it is. It doesn't matter all these different things. We're coming because our attitude and our hearts are ready to worship and to meet the living God. Worship is expressive. The Bible, look, I can go through all the different Hebrew words from the book of Psalms. There's umpteen of them. We have like two worships, worship and praise. Praise and worship. The Bible, there's umpteen words that help describe worship. It's expressive. 
We can bow down. We can be reverent. We can bow before the living God. We can clap our hands. Folks, it's not a sports thing. It's biblical. The Bible did it first. We can raise our hands. What are we doing? We're raising, we're lifting our gaze. You lift our heads, Lord. We're looking at you. We're not looking inward. We're looking to you. So they're not just going through the motions. It's not just something we created. They're all biblical things. Folks, we can dance, or at least some of us can, (laughs) or at least we can try. We can leap, okay? We can, we can leap. We're allowed to leap. You're going to get some exercise. Some of it's going to be good for you. It's going to lower your heart rate and lower your blood pressure and all that by worshiping more. I'm being serious. And you'll get warmer. (laughs) Have I mentioned that? So I'm not saying you got to fake it and you got to go through the motions and every week you got to go through, jump through the hoops to get, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is these are all biblical things and we need freedom to do them. And if maybe, if we as elders have blocked that or we, you feel like you haven't been given permission, I'm saying we're giving you permission. And so some of you need to get out from your seats, get in the aisles, and you need to be more expressive in your worship. Our dear African friends, can I just say this to you? Don't become like us. <laughs> we want to become more like you. Amen. Right, Bahati? Mm-hmm. Right? So I need some more. We need some more. Don't become like us. We want to become more like you. We want to become more expressive. So don't dull things down because you've been in North America too long. You need to be free to worship, and we need to become more expressive in our worship. Folks, we're commanded to celebrate. Now, we can command you to do a lot of different things. Commanding to celebrate not just for the sake of celebration, we're remembering, we're being thankful, but we get to celebrate what God has done and what God is doing. And folks, we shouldn't be outdone. This afternoon, you're going to watch the NFL. There's going to be people, their face painted, they're going to be wearing weird 80,000 people, they're going to be going ballistic, and they think we're weird for worshiping here today. They're worshiping, they're expressive, it's heartfelt, they put all their money and time and effort, they've paid They put their mortgage to get season tickets to get there. They're committed, and they're unashamed. Folks, the Lord God came out of heaven to planet Earth. He lived as one of us. He laid down his life. He was innocent. He became guilty for us. He's given us new life. It's available. Of all people, we should not be ashamed of the gospel. We should not be ashamed of our Lord God. And if it freaks people out, so be it. We're freaked out a lot of different things. I want to be freaked out because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I'm with a people together. Because my last, we're going to, it's expressive and it's together. One of my favorite quotes from Dave Fellingham, who we first heard in 1996 and then he was here in 97, talking about worship. He talked about being, it's a public witness. It's a privilege. It's unity. He says this. I love this quote. Worship, one, one definition of it is this. It's loving God in the presence of his people and loving God's people in the presence of God. It's loving God in the presence of his people and loving God's people in the presence of God. We're to be glad, to rejoice, we're to boast in the Lord, we're to bless. You know, we can use our words for cursing or we can use our words for blessing. So we say, bless the Lord, 
Oh, my soul, praise. We can cry out. We can shout. We can proclaim. We can sing. And if we get uncomfortable, that's okay. We're not forcing anything. We're not manipulating anything. But we are encouraging. We are giving freedom to be able to express our love to God. And obviously, worship is a lifestyle of obedience. But together, let's celebrate God. Where's my Bible? All right, we're going to have communion. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 in a second. But let's just read Psalm 103 as we remember the Lord's death, why he died, why did Jesus have to die? Because someone had to pay the price for sin. Jesus is alive. The resurrection is true. He's in heaven now. He's interceding for us. He sent his spirit to help us. And as we come to communion, we're going to be somber. We're going to be respectful. We're going to be in awe. We're going to remember, but we're also going to celebrate because Jesus is alive today. And Psalm 103 says this from David, Praise the Lord, O my soul. And some versions will say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant, who remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to ask the Bicknell's Life Group to come. And we're going to do communion a little different this morning. So instead of the life group passing out the bread and the cup to you. We're going to have them stationed here at the front. And as a part of being proactive and being involved and participating, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are welcome to come and to take communion together. We're going to remember what the Lord has done. We're going to give thanks. We're going to celebrate as well. If you don't consider yourself a Christian yet, that's okay. You can just stay where you are. You can still stay. You don't need to go out. You can stay here. You can watch and observe. You can learn. And during it, by the end, you might feel like you want to know more about Jesus, and we can meet and talk with you afterwards to be able to explain more what that looks like and how you can respond to this good 
news. But John and the team are going to lead us. And as our life group comes and spreads out, you can come together. You can come with your life group. You can come together with your family. Thanks, Lee. Go ahead. You can come with others. And we're going to remember and we're going to give thanks. And so I'm going to read this just as the team gets ready. And Paul wrote this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to remember... We're going to be thankful, we're going to celebrate, it's going to be expressive, and we're going to do it together, okay? I'm going to pray, and then John and the team will lead us, and you can come and receive communion together. So Father in heaven, we want to thank you today for your great love that you demonstrated that even though while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. And we thank you, Father, that your power raised Christ from the dead and that he is now seated at your right hand, ruling and reigning with all authority. And we thank you, Jesus, that today we serve a living God. And we remember today your death and your sacrifice. It humbles us. Lord, we bow before you, saying that you are Lord. And God, we're thankful this morning that you have saved us from death and you've brought us into life. And God, we want to celebrate today this good news. We want to celebrate that you are the only true and living God, that you, Jesus, are our Savior. And God, we want to do it together. And we want to be expressive, Lord, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Holy Spirit, would you assist us now to remember, to be thankful, and to celebrate, and to know that we've got a glorious future. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to worship as we celebrate communion. So as John and the team lead us, you can come forward, you can take the bread and the cup, you can take some time to pray, you can go to the side if you want some more time, you can take it back to your seat, and then we're going to continue to worship, and we've given some more time for us to be able to express our worship to God. All right, so John, we'll hand things to you. Thank you.